Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. After a lengthy delay, I'm Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the deputy site manager for the last couple seasons and the minor league editor for the past half a decade or so. Uh, joining me this evening for a long-awaited and long-asked-for podcast is Matt Powers. You can follow him at Twitter on Twitter at MattPowers31. He's our kind of our resident draft guru, and if there's obscure prospects and lower-level prospects, he's definitely the guy that we kind of lean on to kind of find out information about, as well as Garrett Spain. You can follow him on Twitter at BravesMILB. Uh, Garrett's been with me for just about as long as I've been at Talking Shop, and he's been you know an integral part to the minor league crew as well. We don't have Garav this week. Uh, Garav just got back from vacation, and he's really been kind of immersed in his day job, which he's he's kind of a higher up at prize picks for those who aren't aware. And it's just been a very busy part of the season for him where he's dealing with football season and dealing with basketball season kind of cranking up as well. So I kind of took the liberty of kind of giving him this one off so he can kind of ease back into things, get to talking about baseball uh, a little bit later on in the off season. But Matt, Garrett, how are you guys doing? Great at this point. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's the winter meetings. Stuff's going down. Ridiculous money's being handed out. Players are changing teams. It's a great time of year. Yeah, I'm genuinely surprised. And like, this is obviously a minor league podcast, and you know, we don't really have any trades to speak talk about, which will that's kind of a, a general topic that we will touch on later. But I'm I'm really surprised at the kind of the pace of what has happened in the winter meetings in this offseason. I mean, like, all, a lot of the big free agents have already signed. It's not like we had to wait until January, February to, to you know, get all that sorted out. I mean, a lot of the big names are already off the market. One notable one that is that is still on the market is Josh Donaldson. But beyond that, I mean, Rendon signed, Garrett Cole signed. I am Strasburg. not surprised that we had this, unlike last year. Last year, we were kind of stuck with just the two big names, obviously, that got the big money deals. This year, you have two legitimate number one starters on playoff teams, and then you have basically half the league looking at third baseman with Rendon's and the Donaldson's and all the guys out there on the trade market. And so, Mustakis, too. I mean, he got snatched yeah. up really early. Uh, yeah. Grendahl, Grendahl signed really early. Um, it, it was nice, and I, 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 there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory that I keep like going back to is that the the league knows that the last, how the last two off seasons has been perceived as, you know, whether it be collusion, whether it be just simply not healthy for the labor environment, regardless of whether or not it's like collusion or not, it's just not particularly healthy for that relationship. And I wonder if that there was kind of a nudge to be like, we need to have some more action earlier uh, to kind of make sure, but that's more of a conspiracy theory type thing. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but it does, it is kind of funny that they complained for two years in a row. And now all of a sudden, like, it's every day someone else signs. Last year's class was awful. This year's class is pretty loaded, and you're getting a lot more of those controllable players getting up there in their years in service time, closing in on free agency. So they're more likely to be moved now than they were a year ago. So I think it's just made for a more active winter. 
Well, yeah, and it has been again. We've seen some trades. I do think now that a lot of like the free agent market has sorted itself out. Once Donaldson signs wherever he signs, and you know, right now the rumors are that it's going to be a four-year deal. I'm really interested in kind of this trade market starts shaping up because I think there are so many. I think you're right that there was a lot of names that could fill voids on the free agent market, but once those names are gone, teams are going to start looking to the trade market more, and I think we're going to have a pretty active like January, February of you know like of of trades and at least a lot of rumors and all that stuff. So that's going to be a lot of fun for us, especially when the Braves presumably are going to be buyers and that's going to allow us to kind of figure out, you know, what pieces might go to other teams and what that could potentially bring back. Uh, but those are, those are notes for another day because ultimately they have not traded, you know, really any prospects for anyone of note. They've been kind of focused on the free agent market. So we get to talk about the same guys that we've been talking about for a long time now, which is one of the reasons why there's been such an absence. There's been a lot of stuff, uh, in my life as well as everyone's life, I know Garrett's been traveling. Uh, I know Matt's have been kind of cover up with work commitments, and he's you know he he has other interests and other th- other things he's working on as well. Garab's been really busy with work, and he's been traveling. I've had to travel quite a bit with a lot of family obligations with the holidays, and my stepson he's a like a really competitive Rubik's cube solver. If I'm not sure, I've I've told a few people about this, but it's actually hysterical that you know he can actually do what he does. And there's been a lot of trouble involved with that, and it's something that I really get to do very often during the season because we're kind of really in the thick of it, you know, covering the minor leagues every day and what's going on during the season as talking shop as a whole. So getting caught up on some of that off season stuff and getting caught up with the family stuff and the work stuff, it's important for us. And it just felt like that we would be not t- talking about we'd be talking about small topics and they'd be short shows, be a lot of mailbag shows, which are fun. But we're not really dealing with a lot of new information, so we kind of kept putting it off. And then finally, uh, we, have, we have enough material for a show tonight, and we have a lot of things we do need to talk about. Some of it's going to happen happen in the past, and we're just going to kind of we're going to try to get caught up on what our general thought process uh, was regarding what happened, um, and as well as some current topics that are ongoing. So that's kind of be the general. This is going to be kind of like an off season catch up show uh, while previewing some things that we have in the works going down the line. First things first, um, the Rule Five draft was today. Uh, for those who aren't aware, the Braves did make some 40-man moves, 40-man roster moves to, in order to protect some guys from the, the Rule 5 draft. That was Christian Pache, William Contreras, Jaciel De La Cruz, and Philip Pfeiffer were added to the 40-man roster. But before we kind of get into the, what happened in the Rule 5 draft and all that, I was pretty surprised that, that Philip Pfeiffer was added. In hindsight, I kind of, it makes sense to me. But Garrett, I'll go to you first. Do you, were you surprised that they ended up adding him to the 40 man roster? Because ultimately, like, it seems like they pretty much transitioned him back to being a starter. And now he's on, now he's occupying a 40 man spot. Do, do you think there was like a realistic chance that he was going to get taken? And like, do you think that he's going to ultimately be occupying that 40 man spot with some amount of utility? I don't know if I necessarily expected it as much with him, but the way he performed at the end of the year, you know, we saw kind of an uptick in his stuff and he really started to show his potential. And so, I mean, I definitely could have seen a team taking a chance on him because he did, I mean, he succeeded at higher levels. And at that point it's worth, it might've been worth it for a team to take a chance and see if they could get something out of him. So I, I, I actually really do like the idea to protect Pfeiffer just because he seems to be, he seems to have turned that corner and the Braves right now, I mean, they're struggling to put together a bullpen and it, you know, you kind of need all the arms you can because you never know who's going to end up working out and who's not. And so I like the, so yeah, I mean, Pfeiffer's working as a starter now, long term, he's, I don't see him as a starter, but having him, you know, he can kind of, do spot starts, he can fill in the bullpen, kind of like, and then you don't waste guys like Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, who throughout the year you had to call up, even though they were prospects and they really needed to be in AAA. Now you have a guy like Pfeiffer who can come in and fill that role. I think that'll be beneficial as well. Matt, what about you, man? At first I was a little surprised they chose to keep Pfeiffer on the 40-man and let someone like Burroughs exposed in the 40, in the Rule 5, but you know, after thinking about it, what Garrett said pretty much describes everything. I mean, if you just think about their names and who they are and what they cost both in the draft and in trade, you'd think they would have been winging towards Burroughs. But with what Pfeiffer showed, I think he's the more interesting of the two right now. Although I, I do think the bullpen is a lot stronger than it was last year. So, and after we added Will Smith, 
to go with basically bringing back everybody that was key in the bullpen last year, having a full year of O'Day, all those young prospect arms that are maybe no longer prospects now, some of them still are, uh, Corbin Klaus in addition to them. I mean, we have a lot of bullpen pieces, so there's some surprise, but not a ton of surprise, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's something I had to kind of think about for a while. I wasn't particularly surprised that they didn't protect Burroughs just because I don't think he was particularly good last year. And there's just so many – There's, I'm sorry. There's so few guys that end up actually getting selected in the Rule 5. I just never thought that Burroughs was good enough to kind of take that chance and to put to give, give a 40-man spot, even though they could just give them back, um, give them back if it doesn't work out. I just see he wasn't that kind of that high-ceiling arm that generally gets taken. I mean, sure, you'll see some position players – taken in the Rule 5 draft, but generally it's relievers, and they're generally high-ceiling guys. So, and he's just not that guy. And I, I mean, I'm, I've been kind of lower on him anyway in general. The guy I was a little worried about was Brad Roney, because he he is kind of fit that profile of, like, a high-ceiling arm that could potentially, like, make some noise as a reliever this year. But, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, the, the injury history with him, combined with, like, the, the recent track record of just being, like, not a ton of games and a ton of appearances, kind of kept him safe. Uh, I think Corbin Klaus was going to be a guy that would that would have been taken if he had been healthy this year. Unfortunately, he wasn't. He ended up having shoulder surgery. Hopefully, he comes back and is happy and healthy after that. But again, not a guy that you know was going to ultimately be taken simply because of those injury concerns. And you don't want to keep a guy on your r- roster all year when you don't even know if he's going to be able to play at all. So, you know, the Pfeiffer the Pfeiffer edition was eye opening. But based on what the forty man roster looks at looks like right now, I mean that. They don't really have like a strong need for those spots. They could they could potentially make some more moves as well to kind of free up some other spots if they really needed them. Uh, and the other three, Pache, Contreras, and De La Cruz, were like no doubters. We're talking about like top fifteen or better prospects uh, in the system. They, they were always going to get it protected, so they, they kind of had to make those moves. Uh, the five for one was a little bit eye opening for us, but. Not ultimately not something that we're particularly upset about, um, and it was really cool to see what Pfeiffer was able to do in terms of all of a sudden his, all of his strikeout numbers upticking, and he was you know some of his peripherals look kind of the same from what he was uh, early, uh, early on in his career, and you, know, you always have to worry a little bit about whether or not the command is just going to stay the way it the way it, the way it needs to versus what it has been at times in the past. But he's a guy worth kind of just I mean he's worth a, a forty man spot. It doesn't necessarily cost you anything right now. Considering kind of how the roster moves have, have shaped up, um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he does well because I love those stories. I love guys like Wes Parsons who ended up, you know, he's no longer with the organization, but guys who like had like kind of had really strong status as prospects, lost it over a period of time because of whether it be injuries or just inconsistency, and then come back and like use a, a loud year to kind of make a name for themselves and ultimately end up getting a roster spot. And I hope he does well. Um, but as for the draft today, the Braves did not make any Rule 5 selections during the major league part of the draft. I think there was only like 11 or 12 selections total league-wide. This is not abnormal because you have to keep the – in the major league portion, whoever you select, you have to keep on your team on the 40-man – on the 25-man roster the entire year. If you don't, then you have to for, you have to offer that player back for like half what you paid to select them in the first place, and they get first dibs, and if they don't, then you can move them. But – you have to give them that opportunity if you're not if you could try to get them off the roster. Um, they did, however, there were some moves that did happen in the minor league portion. The minor league portion is a little bit different in terms of like what players are qualify and don't qualify, and you don't have to keep them on your 25 man roster. You can just stick them on a minor league on a minor league affiliate. You don't have to offer them back. Um, they did lose Alex Aquino, uh, who was a pitcher that never made it past Danville for the Braves, and they did get uh, Wendell Riho from the Yankees. And I'm actually going to pitch pitch this to Matt because. Aquino was the guy I was only kind of somewhat aware of, and Matt's actually gotten to watch both these. Is actually really familiar, particularly with Riho, who he got to see quite a bit because Matt happens to live where he was playing quite a bit. So Matt, first uh, talk to us about Aquino, and then who the player that we got. So Aquino is actually a guy we saw, Eric. Believe it or not, he was in the GCL when we made our GCL trip in 2017. That was actually his first year as a pitcher. He came over into the system as basically a utility infielder, playing mostly shortstop, but playing some second and third base as well. He didn't really hit well in 2015 in the DSL. They moved him anyway up to the GCL in 2016. He had about a 700 or so OPS, and he repeated that level next year, but he moved to pitching. And he really only appeared in seven games and... He wasn't very good at that point, 
but it was his first year pitching. And obviously when you walk 11 guys in eight innings, you're not going to fare very well, but you know, that, that, that's, that, that, that does sound familiar from some of those GCL games. I do seem to recall some games like that. Mm-hmm. So next year, 2018, he's now 21 at this time. He repeats in the GCL and he fares a little better. I mean, the numbers are still pretty ugly. He only got 24 innings, but he walked less batters than he threw innings. So he basically cut his walk rate in half. Uh, the numbers outside of that, I mean, he still gave up more than a hidden inning, didn't quite strike out a guy per inning, gave up over a homer per nine. Not good numbers, but it was very good progress considering he was basically in his second year ever as a pitcher after being an infielder. So this year they moved him up to Danville, short season. He appeared in 12 games and threw 20 innings. He actually had very solid numbers. I mean, he had a 0.85 whip thanks to just a 4.5 hits per nine. That 11.9 down to 5.2 walk rate dropped all the way down to 3.2. And for the first time, he actually struck out more than a guy per inning, striking out 9.9 with 22 strikeouts in the 20 innings. He was one of the better relievers on that Danville team, but, I mean, he is 22, and he is still so new to pitching. You have to figure this guy is probably a good three years away from actually being able to contribute to a big league team, no matter where he goes, just because it's so obvious that he's still learning so much about pitching. Um, going where he's going to Pittsburgh, it's... And it's really hard to imagine exactly what kind of developmental plan they're going to have because they have such high turnover right now with their entire organization. But right, right. It, he's not a guy that it hurts to lose because he's got some talent and he did pitch fairly well this year, which is a very promising sign considering how new he is to pitching. But that's not really the guy that you worry about protecting when you have as many relievers as we do in the system. Well, yeah, there was no chance of that happening considering just how far he was along anyway. There's no way you could put him on there. Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously we selected uh, an infielder, Wendell Reho, uh, kid who actually came from the Yankees organization, uh, spent the year playing in a couple different spots, actually began in high A in the Florida State League, played in double A and also in triple A. Uh, I, this is actually a guy that some people may have some familiarity with because he's 24 years old at this point, but, uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, he was in the Red Sox top 30 prospects a couple of years in a row, three, four, five years in a row, depending on what site you were actually getting your information from. So this guy does have some pedigree. He's smaller than his listed 5'11", 170. I want to say he's closer to 5'8", 5'9", after seeing him in person. I mean, this is a guy that has plenty of versatility. It's definitely something that the Braves clearly value. And if you look at where he's played in his career, he's played every spot in the infield, first, second, third, and short, along with some time at DH. I mean, he hasn't caught or played the outfield, but... He brings that versatility. He hits the ball with some authority. I mean, he hit a career high by far this year with 13 homers in 103 games. The previous career high was just nine, but he had 24 doubles and he had 20 plus doubles in 2014, 2015, 2016. So it's not like there isn't some ability to hit the ball with some authority in that bat. He only stole four bases, but I mean, he is a guy who has stolen in the teens in previous years, 15, 16 being his career highs. He's not a burner, but he's an athletic guy with some versatility who hits the ball hard. I mean, he's never going to be a star for you, but he's definitely a guy that he's fun to watch play. He plays hard, plays all over, hits the ball hard, runs fairly well. So, I mean, for, for Gwinnett, because he's not a guy that you would bring to Atlanta unless somebody went down and you needed a piece for a week or two. But for what he is, he's a solid player, solid dad. I do think it's funny that in the off chance that, like, Ozzy Albies, for example, were to get hurt, they picked another small second baseman that can hit the ball harder than you think he'd be able to, um, which is kind of funny to me. But, 
yeah, so we did get, I did get some questions on Twitter about Aquino and about uh, Riho in general. Uh, guys that we weren't super familiar with, fortunately that's what we have, Matt, for these kind of lower level guys. And it was particularly fortunate that Matt got to see, um, Riho at Scranton Wilsbury. So again, this is kind of what we know about them right now. An interesting player to be sure in Riho. Uh, we don't necessarily like super excited to see Aquino go, but he's also not a guy that's necessarily going to cause us to, you know, you know, think that it affected the depth of the system in any way. Um, before we're going to take a, Oh, break for our sponsors here just a just a minute. But I actually wanted to talk to Garrett because Garrett and I have been covering Brad Roney for a long time now, and you know I've already talked a little bit about Burroughs, how I think that you know the stuff is you know he's he's not doesn't have big big swing and miss stuff, you know the the track record of you know performance is a little bit iffy at times, particularly as he's ascended in levels, and you know his stint in the AFL wasn't particularly good either, but. Garrett, you have been a big proponent of Roney as a bullpen piece in the past, and this was before he got hurt. Coming back last year, the numbers looked good. We saw, we see the strikeout numbers are still there. We saw some command issues, uh, which have been basically his. We saw those at times this past year, which has been kind of his mo since he was a pitcher. Is that you know it's big time stuff. Not sure if he can always command it. If you and he's not on the forty man roster right now, but he made it through. Was not selected. What do you think the chances are sometime in 2020 that he ends up getting added to the 40-man roster for the Braves? That's a tough one. I would uh, – a couple of months ago with the way he had played in the AFL because he went out in the AFL and he really – I mean, he played extremely well. He did have some walks in a couple games that were struggling. But for the most part, he actually – he held the walks down. He continued to strike out guys even against higher competition. But with the bullpen additions they made, it's going to be hard for him to break into this team unless there are a string of injuries, which with bullpen guys, there, I mean, there are always injuries. Guys are going to get hurt. And if he goes out and AAA proves himself, he could be that guy. Um, he's probably behind a few guys. I mean, he's probably behind a few guys right now in AAA guys like right. And Wilson are going to get at are going to be brought up before him. Uh, Pfeiffer is going to be brought up before him. So I think it's unlikely that he gets added to the forty man roster this year. But I don't think it's because he's not good enough to play in the major leagues. I just think that there are other guys that are ahead of him and are already on the forty man roster that they're going to turn to before they turn to Roni. Unless he goes out there and has an outstanding season, which wouldn't surprise me because he's really never had bad season other than when he has had injuries. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that has an electric fastball and a breaking ball that, again, when both those pitches are on and he's commanding them at all, it doesn't have to even be plus command. It just it can be just average. The stuff is so good that he'll get strike, he'll strike out a ton of guys. And he doesn't, I mean, he does not feel to be that far away in terms of, like, the, the stuff to be dominant. But one, the one thing that I do like about Roni is it does give you some flexibility in terms of, like, if you decide you really do need to trade, you know, trade a bullpen piece to make another deal happen. Like, you have a guy like him that does exist. Uh, he obviously is a good backup in case injuries happen, and you don't necessarily want to bring up a guy like a Kyle Wright or a Bryce Wilson. You want to keep them starting wherever they are. Again, it's an option that's available to you. A, a list of guys that b- b- may also get called up to, I mean, Tukey is still around, and and Patrick Weigel's on the forty man roster too. So it's it's going to be very hard for limited bullpen spots potentially for Roney to really break camp with the team. But I like keeping him as an asset to either kind of protect you in the event of certain trades where you feel like you have to get rid of certain guys to make another deal happen, or potentially even include him in a trade because there are going to be some teams that are going to think that he isn't that far away from being major league ready. And that if you feel like you maybe make a team, make a trade where you can like free up some money or make him as like a supplementary piece to a large deal or something like that. I mean, he's a guy that, again, he didn't get picked in the roll five draft, but if he starts off the season, you know, for a month or two and being really good, then maybe he makes something in the trade deadline happen or he makes, you know, some other roster moves make more sense. And so I'm glad he's still with the organization because, you know, I think he gets forgotten about. One, because just because relievers sometimes just get lost in the shuffle a lot of times. And also because, and again, to put it, to put it nicely, it's that he has been so inconsistent at times, but the highs are worth noting enough to think that maybe, just maybe he could end up being a piece that could, you know, have like a, like a Chad Sabatka-esque rise. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have to dive back to earth like Sabatka did. 
Um, but a guy who has that kind of stuff where all of a sudden he can, if everything clicks, all of a sudden he becomes a real piece that becomes worth thinking about in terms of your uh, minor league rosters. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about minor league contraction. There's been a lot of news and a lot of discussion, and we're going to have a lot to talk about there, uh, as well as kind of who are some notable uh, minor league free agents that were with the Braves last season, uh, and a couple of notes as to kind of what we think is going to happen going forward. But for the moment, please take a, take a, take a break to listen to a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, guys, and we're back. So this is a tough subject for me because in my heart of hearts, I have a such a large amount of affection for the Braves minor league affiliates as a whole. Um, you know, there a lot of great people working on all those affiliates and I really love, I love minor league baseball in general. I, I wish more people went out to those parks and watched those games. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great experience. You get to see all, you get to see some future stars. You get to see a lot of guys that are like chasing their dreams and it's a, and it's a really, you can tell that they're playing super hard and that they're trying to figure things out, particularly at the lower levels. And you know the tickets are like five or ten dollars. You get like front row seats, and you mean you get to watch you get to watch professionals play baseball. Is it the Atlanta Braves? Absolutely not. But it, you are going to see some really hot, talented players, and you know all the amenities are just great. And I love what those or those teams generally do for their communities. But at the same time, you do hear a lot about some of organizations and some affiliates and some facilities just not being very good. And it does feel like at times that there's just so many minor league affiliates and there's just so much to sort through that there's, it doesn't really feel like that there's always a great product on the field. Combine that with the fact that if there is a trade-off to be made for paying the current, paying minor league players a, more in order to like give them a living wage and actually be able to have a, like a functional existence on a month to month basis. If the trade-off is that maybe there needs to be a few more minor league affiliates, I, I sort of get it. And the problem is, is that, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you know, when you're thinking about it just in terms of numbers, it makes sense. But when you're talking about a team like the Danville Braves, which is, for, in case you're not aware of what we're talking about, Major League Baseball has been, has targeted, I believe it's 42 different affiliates for contraction across major, minor league baseball. Two of those happen to be the Braves. One is the Danville Braves, which has been around for a long time, and it's kind of an institution in Danville. Um, and in Danville's a, I mean, it's not, Danville itself isn't a particularly big town, but, you know, it's really close to a lot of towns in North Carolina as well as in Virginia. It's kind of situated right there on the North Carolina-Virginia border. So you can kind of, you know, you can see that there would be some interest in the general area, but it is rookie ball, so it's kind of hard to draw any sorts of crowds there. Uh, I don't know much about the facilities there, because that's actually one of the few places I haven't been to, because driving all the way out there hasn't been something that's been high on my mind and times I would have done it. I said we either went to the, for example, when we went to the Gulf Coast League or we've made other trips. I haven't had a chance to make it there, but it sounds like that there's, you know, issues regarding, you know, whether it be the facilities or kind of how they feel like, you know, players are treated there, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one is the Florida Fire Frogs, which is a, basically a brand new team. But there's a, there's a particular problem with the Fire Frogs. One is which, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before too, is that, you know, it seems like the Braves tend to avoid sending players there, and there's been rumors like, you know, they don't necessarily have all the resources that they need whenever they get there in terms of, you know, equipment and, you know, being able to train the way they want to and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
They also don't have a stadium to play in right now because the one that they played in Osceola, I think it was, I think it's called Osceola County Stadium, uh, has been, they basically got kicked out because the, the, the county decided they wanted to have an MLS, uh, training facility be used there. And eventually they just couldn't come to an agreement. The owner accepted a buyout and we'll kind of get into what the options they have, but, and so now they don't have a place to play and they're exploring some options, but man, I'm going to go to you first. When you first heard this news about just contraction in general, and then specifically how it would affect the Braves, kind of what was your first your first thoughts and what were your first pass at it? I mean, I was disappointed to hear that we might be losing some teams. I mean, some of those are teams that are up by me. Some of them are multiple facilities are ones that I've actually been two games at. So obviously, I hate to see that we're potentially going to lose teams. I think that having all these different levels is probably what is best for a player development as a whole. It not only gets the real prospects chance to keep on developing, but it lets those other guys who aren't real prospects keep on developing, keep on playing. It gives them a chance to keep on going out there and show that maybe they are deserving of something more than what they're being credited for at the current time. So I do think it's important to keep minor league baseball the way that it is and losing teams is never especially losing more than one league in its entirety is never a good thing I mean I, I do think that the teams that they have picked for the most part overall and I'm not just talking about the two teams from the Braves organization are probably some of the teams that are in either weaker overall markets with or weaker overall fan bases or maybe some outdated facilities. I mean, I've been to some of them and I'm not even going to really name some names, but um, some of them are not the nicest facilities. I think that definitely went into it. Um, but I really do think that the entire reason for this is because MLB realizes it's coming that they're going to have to pay players a, living, a real living wage, which the players, I definitely feel strongly that they deserve because how can you actually go out there and get better if you don't have enough money to actually live considering you're playing in a sport that generates millions of dollars every single year. So I think that this is ownership's way of trying to cut some funds somewhere to reallocate those funds elsewhere. That's really what I think this all is. And they just happened to pick out 42 of the spots that will either have the least resistance or would be the most cost-effective. Garrett, what about you, man? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going back to what he said about all the levels, I mean, one of the issues with a contraction like this is, you know, the uh, the Braves would have to make arrangements because, like, the jump from Rome to Mississippi is just too big. You can't it, you can't make that jump. You know, Danville, it's not as big of a deal. I don't think going from GCL to A ball, it's not as big of a deal. But like that jump is pretty significant. So they would have to get another affiliate to kind of bridge that gap, in my opinion, for if you wanted the best possible player development. If I th if I thought that this was genuinely going to lead to players getting higher salaries without being forced, I mean, obviously, eventually they might get forced. At, at some point, they have to. I mean, I, I can't see them continuing to pay players the amount they do for the hours that the players put in and getting away with it. But if I thought that the owners were doing this because they wanted to money to play the players more to get better facilities yeah you know what i think i would be on board with it because it makes sense and it does improve the you know it it makes it easier to develop players because if they're in better conditions they can get the most out of their bodies and it's just a better living conditions for them and i wouldn't but i don't I have my doubts that that's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen at that point, they're really, it's, I mean, really, it's just to save money that they don't necessarily have to save. And so that's one of the issues I've had with it. I, I mean, I, the, 
I think some, I mean, obviously, yes, some of these teams, they're not that popular. They are losing money. And from a business perspective, it makes sense to drop these teams because they do lose you money. On the other hand, from the development perspective and it, it hurts. And for the towns that are losing, you know, maybe the team doesn't necessarily have much, make a lot of money, but it brings jobs to the towns. It brings attentions to the town and that helps the surroundings around the stadiums make money. And I think that it really does hurt to see those cities losing that, you know, center of, you know, commerce for them. I think it really hurts to see that go. Yeah. And again, it's like, for example, like, you know, we've had Nick Pierce on this very program before, um, before we kind of went, kind of became part of the talking job feed. Nick Pierce came on the first iteration of Road to Atlanta and he's the voice of the Danville Braves. You know, he is a cheerleader for minor league baseball. He is a, you know, a, a genuinely really good play by play guy. You know, it's, it, it sucks to even have to talk about losing opportunities for guys like him and elsewhere and for, and for others where this is kind of where a lot of people get into being in the organization of baseball. In addition to all the concessions and all, and all that, like those, these are real jobs and real people. And it's hard to kind of think about that this contraction is happening. And I, I think that Garrett's skepticism about player wages is an important point to make because I think that because what Manfred has said is like, you know, we, he, you know, this is kind of what the media face of him is that we would like to play the players more. We would like to make these changes. And the way they've portrayed minor league baseball is basically balking at making any changes whatsoever. And so instead they kind of went to this contraction, you know, this contraction plan. And now like negotiations between the two sides has been very, have been very contentious uh, with, you know, like he said, she said type stuff. I will say this. I do think that the the players and the players need facilities and to have a living wage. I also think that it is up to the responsibility of whoever owns these organizations. And again, and a lot of times this is the teams and those aren't necessarily the affiliates that are the ones that are in danger of being cut here. It's the ones that are kind of independently owned and kind of contracted with teams that are at risk of being, being cut. I think what's possible is just the Braves, you know, either they might purchase the fire frogs and that might shield them from this because it might, the, Major League Baseball might feel like the Braves have a better vested interest in kind of providing the resources necessary. And again, these are all negotiations that are ongoing, so we don't know anything for sure that's going to be happening. But the there's there should be a certain amount of skepticism considering how Major League Baseball has tried their absolute best to like not let minor league players get overtime to you know make sure that they can be not be they're basically treated as interns in terms of labor law. To think that all of a sudden that minor, Major League Baseball is going to use the savings from a contraction to boost minor league player salaries in a meaningful way is worth being skeptical about. I'm not saying that they wouldn't do it because ultimately I think that it's something that a lot of people would feel – I think that most people would say it needs to happen because they, they don't make much money, uh, particularly with all the – like they, their days are not – just what they play in the, you know, play in the stadiums for, you know, three hours or whatever it is, you know, per game that they play. It's, you know, it's all the training, it's all the travel, and it's required of them, and they just don't make much money. And, you know, for every guy who got a big-time draft bonus was a top-ten pick and has, you know, has a good amount of money saved away in order for them to kind of survive through the minor leagues and to get to the major leagues where they can start actually making their money, there's the guy who was the 25th-round pick who got a small bonus signed in the hopes that he could latch on somewhere and is eating ramen and just trying his best to survive, you know, through two or three years while having to work day, you have to work off, you know, jobs in the off season just to make ends meet. I mean, and there's lots of players and they're players that we know the names of like people who we actually think could be in the major leagues right now are struggling. And that sucks. It just does. I actually saw people on Twitter saying that, you know, the minor league players need to quit complaining because of how much money they make per hour. Those people need to go to hell because that's just not true. It just isn't. There are some players that have become wealthy, and honestly, you know, like, again, we're talking about the top ten picks, you know, the number one overall picks who got millions of dollars in bonuses. There are some of those in the minor leagues. This is absolutely true. A lot of those players are having – go ahead. Even those players are not being paid well. 
at this point. Those players got a bonus for signing. That's not their, they're not making, if you get $7 million for signing, you're getting your $7 million up front as a bonus. You're still making what everybody else that signed for $5,000 is making at this point. You're, you're living off of what was supposed to be a bonus, not a paycheck, but a bonus. So yeah, you're not, you're, you're not being well paid. paid. Yeah, you're not necessarily being paid for future seasons. You're being paid to, to, to sign a contract to actually be a part of their team. And then all of a sudden, for what a lot of times it's four or five years, you're not making much money at all. You know, it gets a little better up at the upper minors, but not much. And what happens a lot of times, and we've I've heard these stories a lot, is that a lot of the guys who got you know got substantial bonuses, they end up having to just help their fellow teammates just to be able to survive. I mean, you will not have to ask hard or long to hear about stories about, you know, I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to, you know, get this fixed or to afford this or whatever, and this guy really helped me out, and he didn't have to do that. And the thing is, those guys shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't. You know, these are professional athletes, and sure, maybe the, the sheer number of guys that are on minor league rosters right now makes it untenable to give everyone sub- the substantial raises that I think we all deserve, and... A certain amount of culling may ultimately just have to happen, I guess. Uh, but I do wish there was a way to kind of shift the focus and focus on the fact that the real issue here is that it would not cost a ton of money in the grand scheme of things with how baseball operations are run to give every one of these guys raises to where they could. I mean, we're not, try, no, no one's saying, you know, they should, they should be getting, you know, buy Ferrari money, but they should be able to I, yeah. li- live sustainably. That, that, and I just want to point this out because I actually saw this the other day for the very first time. The AHL, the NHL's version of AAA, those players are on average paid something that's considered a fairly decent wage for a normal line of work. I mean, they could be making what I'm making, what you're making, what whoever's listening is making, just, you know, that. I forget what the amount was, but it was in that thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar range, which is not enough to make you rich, but it's a fairly livable wage. How is the NHL, which makes fraction of what MLB makes, able to pay their AAA players that much more than what MLB is? I mean, MLB has many more levels, but they also have multiple times the amount of revenue to work with. Yeah, and again, that's yeah, the argument you're going to make. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you give thirty thousand per player, that's. I mean, there's something like what, like 180 players in the system, or give or take. I mean, you're looking at five million dollars, which is a lot of money, but to a major league team, it's really not that much money. And also, it's not a huge. Also, if you think that about 30, it, thirty thousand is not just a huge bump. Yeah. Kevin Gossman just got nine million dollars, and Kevin Gossman was bad last year let's let's face that for a, a team to give five million dollars up front that's that's a drop in the bucket to them and they don't and and these guys i mean they don't get paid for spring training am i correct uh, i believe that's correct even if they're like invited to big league camp i don't think that they're like got any extra money or anything right. like that but i'm not as sure about that though right so you look at not only you know a whole month and a half of the year where they literally just don't get paid. And a lot of the guys you were saying, you know, they'll drive for Uber during spring training because they're literally sitting there for a month and a half. They have, they have to be there and they are getting paid nothing. And I mean, it's ridiculous, obviously. Yeah. And obviously you can kind of tell that all three of us kind of feel pretty strongly about it. Um, I, I do not, I guess the short version of the story is I do not wish for this discussion about contraction being focused on a necessary trade-off with minor league pay, those issues are separate in my mind. If you feel like you need to contract because facilities are so bad and you really want to make sure the players are being taken care of well, that is different, and we can all have reasonable discussion. We can all reasonably dif- you know, differ as to you know which teams should be included or not included and which ones are actually like teams that could actually be like like their parks could be renovated, changes could be made in order to kind of keep them around without necessarily just getting rid of them and, you know, firing them into the surface of the sun. But, you know, and again, well, I want to talk a little bit about the fire frogs too, but I don't like the tying of the two because ultimately that's not the way it should be because the, 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 
it has been negligence of the highest order as to what how minor league players are treated just as professionals and just as people who like they deserve a living wage and being treating them like they are interns and what they have to do considering what they do for an organization and what they ultimately have to go through on a season to season basis i don't like it at all uh and tying those two together is disingenuous at best i think um, but I do want to talk about the with Fire Frogs because again I mentioned this earlier that right now they don't have a st- stadium to play in. Um, the, again, the, their their stadium that they were playing in up through last year was just converted into an MLS practice facility. Now the stated goal, or at least that was the idea, is that the Braves would simply move the Fire Frogs into their facility in Northport. They have the brand new stadium. There's not going to have any problems at all with the, the, the way the facilities exist. There's obviously this construction issue which kind of complicates things a little bit because. If they just get rid of the fire frogs, then they won't actually have be then there won't actually be an organization to put there, and how that all sorts itself out in terms of what the Braves do with their high A affiliate, and if they even have one, that that just gets weird in a hurry. We'll just assume that the fire frogs can exist if they get put in Northport. The current problem is that Northport, uh, uh, the the new spring training facility and the new park and all of that, is only ten miles away from the Stone Crabs facility which creates a territorial dispute type problem because they don't necessarily want to have two minor league teams. And again, this is something that they encounter in the Florida State League a lot. They had to be built a certain distance away so that they could have their own fandoms and they could have their own personal you know, groups of fans that they could be a part of. And the Stone Crabs would be a little bit more sensitive to this than usual because it's the Braves that we're talking about, and this is a team that's in the Southeast. There's not exactly a ton of, you know, in terms of fans, if, whether it be the Rays or the Marlins in Florida, you know, if you go to either of those major league stadiums, you're going to see more Braves fans than you're going to see fans of the other team if the Braves are visiting. So, you know, there's a lot of fixes that are in place, and uh, I'm actually, I'm like, I'm going to kick this to Matt here in just a minute as to, you know, some other potential options that they could have in Florida in terms of, like, you know, spaces they could play in, assuming they still exist. But my favorite idea that's been floated, and I think Mark Bowman mentioned this and it's been mentioned elsewhere, is that one way around this sort of these t- territorial um, disputes regarding how close they are to the stadium is that somehow it's actually okay if they charge free admission for the games if they if they're if the team is in Northport because they're not like they're not a competing you know operating franchise at that point they're just they're letting folks in for free now. I don't know how this would make the Stone Crabs feel simply because if you have to choose between paid baseball and free baseball, if all thing, other things are equal and they're both within close driving distance, people are probably going to go to the free baseball. But again, this seems more of a loophole than anything else. And I thought it was hysterical, but that's a possibility that's out there. Uh, Matt, what do I mean? Are there some other options in Central Florida in terms of like, you know, where they could play and anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I think there's actually plenty. I mean, the good thing about Florida is, I mean, at least. This could be a temporary home even. There are many abandoned parks out there, especially with all the old big league uh, facilities, the old Florida State League teams. I mean, you can find a park pretty easily in that general range. And if not, you might be able to get, and I'm just going to throw some names out there, Bradenton, Dunedin, Clearwater, Port St. Lucie to let you play there for a year. See, I don't know. I don't know exactly how kind of like how that would work logistically well, in terms of scheduling and stuff. The Yankees, the Scranton Wilkesbury Yankees here, they I forget what year this was. It was back when Jesus Montero was on the team, I believe. Uh, I think he was on the team for one of these years, but they were actually rebuilding the stadium, completely doing a makeover of the stadium, and because of that, they played on the road the entire year. They did not have one home game, so they played their home games. And a bunch of different parks. I mean, that's always a possible option, too. Not ideal for anyone, but in a short-term option, just to get them on the field, that's something they can do. It definitely doesn't help their contraction case, either, if that's what they have to do. If they have to, like, hop and play 10 home games here, 10 home games there. Uh, I think that there's going to be some sort of resolution to this. Uh, and I think they're going to end up being playing in Northport and figuring out something else to do with the Stone Crabs. Maybe it's just simple, as simple as a financial sentiment to the Stone Crabs, being like, yo, here's X amount of money. Please let us play nearby. This is probably more money than you would have made in Texas ticket sales anyway. Um, but, you know, we'll obvious, see. Go ahead. Obvious solution here is to charge free tickets, but then charge extra for parking. There you go. Same amount of money. You don't break the rules. There's your loophole. 
And also, well, one thing I want to point out, we're talking about the Florida State League here. If anyone's ever been to a Florida State League game, they yeah, have realized that the attendance is um, usually in the hundreds. So if the, ga- not if like the game happens about, at all. Yeah. Yeah. If the game even happens at all because of the rain. So it's not like you're missing out on much ticket revenue. Yeah. I mean, again, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I have a feeling that the, the stone crabs would be, would, there might be a bit of a delay in their response and realizing what would happen. But if they charge free admission to go to game, like to, for a Braves affiliate to be like 10 miles away, I think there might be some sort of grievance that's filed in it. That'd be, that'd be more interesting than anything else to see how that plays out. Um, before we go, uh, I did want to mention um, one other thing, one other little topic here, is that this is also a time of year where we're seeing that a lot of teams, be, a lot of players in the minor leagues become free agents. Most of the time, these are not particularly high-profile high names. For example, guys like Jonathan Arrow, Claudio Castudio, Rafael DePaula, Andy Wilkins, you know, Danny Lockhart, guys like that. They're no longer in the Braves organization. There are a few names, however, that have become familiar, some of which that we've been covering for a long time uh, that did become free agents. Uh, Ray Patrick Ditter is now a minor league free agent. That was surprising to me just simply because of all the tools he has. I'm not sure he has a hit tool at this point, but he is a guy that has a lot going on. He was a guy that we actually thought they could feasibly protect on the 40-man roster last offseason, considering the, he actually did bounce back a little bit and hit some in double A, but that last year didn't really work out very well for him. Jason Hirsch, former first round pick, is now a free agent. He's been around forever. Uh infamously picked before Aaron Judge. Uh that didn't work out very well. Uh Connor Lean is a guy that Garrett and I were really high on really early on when we were first starting covering uh, talking chop. And Lane Adams, who seems to be perennially a uh, minor league, you know, quad A type guy that they you know teams that the Braves like to snatch up just in case they need pinch runners or a backup a backup backup outfielder or something. Um Garrett, any names in particular? Go ahead. Uh, He's actually already resigned, but Rafael Ortega should also be mentioned after his great year in AAA. Well, yeah, I mean, he was get he got quote unquote released basically. He just wasn't offered a major league contract. It did feel a lot like he was just going to get resigned. If it wasn't by them, he wasn't going to be gone long. That was more just kind of a roster move to get him off the major league roster. Yeah. Uh, Um, you know, and again, he was what a minor league a free agent for like five days or something like that. Um. Yeah, but the Braves have already signed him back. But Garrett, uh, any of these names surprise you as guys that end up being free agents? I mean, I don't think I'll ever be surprised when, like, you know, a career minor leaguer, you know, moves on. Uh, I think a guy like Ditter, from his perspective, moving to a different organization could be good for him because it's obvious at this point that he really isn't going to find a place with the Braves. It, and Going to another organization could benefit him. He could find another organization that can use him that does get him to the major leagues. And so I want to see, you know, I want to see all these guys move on, go to teams that can use them. I mean, Hirsch and Lean, you know, Hirsch had a couple good seasons. He never lived up to that first round pick. He it was what it was with him. Lean, he had a, I mean, he was good at the lower minor leagues and somewhat of the competition issues. You know, he never really. He never really figured out how to hit. He had a ton of physical tools. He never figured out how to hit, you know, those, those high, those high ceiling, you know, low floor guys that happen sometimes. They just don't figure it out. Maybe he will go to a team that can figure it out for him, but you know, for him, I don't see it happening. Lane Adams, we can't get rid of him. He's probably going to be back next year anyway. So. <laughs> that, that seems pretty accurate. Minor league signing, and and by the way, our boss Chris Willis is going to be tilted about it because he, we're going to get a bunch of questions about if he's going to get added to the major league roster. Chris didn't think he should have gotten added to the major league roster in the first place, uh, so uh, I almost kind of hope it happens just because I mean, Chris. For those who don't know, Chris is probably the best boss on the planet. Uh, you know, whatever we feel like we need to do, we don't we don't ever get told what to say. We don't ever get told. You know, he, he, he is genuinely, he fosters whatever ideas and growth that we want to make, anything we've ever needed. The one thing that seems to tilt him, uh, beyond F- Braves Facebook, which I honestly, I think we all agree is just legitimately terrible anyway. I've um, never been on there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a good idea. Just any Braves group, uh, on Facebook or, you know, the main one or anything like that, just avoid it because the comments are like full on dumpster fire. But the other thing that will get him fired up a little bit is Lane Adams and it kind of cracks me up. Um, Matt, I mean, like, again, any of these names surprise you or, or any of the guys that you kind of wish they had kept around a little bit longer? I mean, personally, I wish we kept Ditter, but 
realistically, I'm happy for him. He deserves a chance to go somewhere else where he has a chance to actually maybe get an opportunity that was not coming in Atlanta. Hirsch, I mean, I never liked that pick from the start, so I can't say I'm going to miss him. Uh, never really bought into the hype on him, even though there really wasn't much of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, maybe he'll be able to do something with somebody else, different set of coaches. I mean, look what the Braves did this year with guys that were notoriously weak hitters throughout their career, Billy Hamilton and Echeverria. I mean, it, it could just be as simple as getting different coaches to unlock some upside because really he's only had one group, one philosophy of coaching his entire career. So maybe that helps. I don't really say I'm surprised by any of them now. I mean, I do hope Lane Adams is back. I mean, even on the Gwinnett team, I mean, he's a great personality. So, and he can definitely play at that AAA level. I think he's more than capable of holding down a spot for a week or two in the outfield if you need him to in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I, the name that I think was the most surprising to me was Ditter, just simply because he's so defensively versatile, and he's actually good at those positions. Like, I like him as an infielder, and he was really good in the outfield in the lower minors. And I think it was almost like he was so good they really wanted to give him a chance as an infielder. The The, the problem is the hit tool, and I'm with you guys. I really hope that like another like another organization picks him up, realizes that if they can, you know, like fix his hit tool, you know, fix the approach a little bit. You know, like this is a guy who can steal a ton of he has he can fly. He does hit the ball, he can hit the ball hard, does hit the ball hard when he does make contact, and you know, is a really interesting player and I want him to get I want him to get a real shot. A uh, really great guy too. Uh one yeah, of my I favorite one, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Yeah, I know Matt had interview yeah, Matt interviewed him. He's a ton of fun. You know he wants it. And I think that if he's given an opportunity somewhere else and, you know, hopefully he can figure out the things on the coaching end where he can figure some things out and ultimately be a good hitter. Uh, I cannot stress to you. And again, Matt, Garrett and I really like Connor Lean. If you want a, a bit of a treat, like I know, I know that if you've been following the minor league recaps for the last few years, basically like three games a year, Connor Lean looks like the best player on planet earth. Um, again, this is kind of Braxton Davidson disease too, if you think about it in a lot of ways. Um, is that, you know, all of a sudden he'll be like four for five with two home runs and three stolen bases or something like that. He's, he has these insane games and he'll have these games, a lot of games where he's 0 for five with like three strikeouts and like two grounded in the double plays or something like that. Um, really gifted outfielder, has a strong arm out there. I think he could play all three outfield positions if you really needed him to. It has real raw power, can run. The hit tool is just really, really bad right now, and he strikes out a whole lot. I hope that he another team takes a shot at him. He's getting older now. I don't think he's going to get that shot, unfortunately, or at least not a real one. Um, I'm I'm sure that like another team might pick him up on a minor league contract and stash him in Double A somewhere, and just you know kind of see what happens. But you know, in terms of like getting like a real shot and a lot of real coaching and things like that, I do worry about him a little bit more in terms of his overall viability. But if you really want to look at a guy who had a really good season, look at Connor Leedon's season with the Carolina Mudcats, which was when he was at high A back when the Braves affiliate was there. His season was insane and included like a ton of outfield assists too. He was really, really good. We had him on, we had him healthily in our top thir- uh, 20. Well, back then it was a top 25 list when Garrett and I were making it uh, because two, when two of us, uh, 25 was already a daunting enough tax. We didn't have it out to 30 yet. Um, but he put up some real numbers. He's a guy that's kind of worth looking back on and wondering what could have been. Well, everybody, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Appreciate your guys' patience. Again, just with the off season and kind of a lot of real life stuff, there's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, chances for us to kind of get caught back on life while also not being able to, you know, not being able to record as much. There just hasn't been as much news. We don't want to necessarily be the podcast where we're constantly talking about like which one's better, Drew Waters or Christian Bache. You know, you know, talking about a lot of the same guys that we normally talk about. So this is kind of a way for us to get caught up on everything. You know, talk about some topics that we don't wouldn't necessarily be able to extend into an entire podcast about, but are are worth discussing with you guys. So the next episode, we're going to try to do a mailbag, and then hopefully after that, we're going to have some some moves to talk about, maybe some projecting some things to happen with the major league roster. We're going to talk about, we're going to try to have some guests come in as well. I know I've already talked to some of the folks in, in Braves minor league baseball, as well as a few other folks in the kind of the prospect industry. We're going to bring those back, bring them back as kind of a, some preview-ish 
type content going into the 2020 season. We think there's a lot of really interesting pieces in the system, but the reality is that, you know, the system's getting weaker just simply because there's, there's players graduating and the, the Braves are going to be picking lower and lower each year. So there's just going to be less and less opportunities to talk about players, especially with the international sanctions that exist. But we're going to keep talking about the system. We really appreciate all the help that you've been giving us, um, so whether it be through Patreon, uh, supporting the podcast that way, or simply liking, retweet, retweeting, and letting your friends know that this podcast exists. The podcast is still going to be airing. Again, off-season is going to be a little bit more touch-and-go, but we're going to do our best to make it a little bit more regular now that all of us are sort of caught up. And don't worry, Garav is going to be back on. Uh, I just kind of wanted to give him some time to get back, you know, back from vacation, get back into the swing of things before having to say, by the way, here's a bunch of minor league baseball that you that we all need to be caught back up on. Uh, he'll be back as well. Uh, make sure you follow him at GVDAC on Twitter if you haven't already, uh, or at Braves Reddit. He runs the Braves Reddit account as well. Thank you again so much. If you want to support the podcast, other than Patreon, make sure that you like and subs- you subscribe, like, leave a five-star review on iTunes for the Talking Chop feed, which is where you'll find this podcast. Not only will you get this podcast, but you also get the Talking Chop main one where I appear pretty regularly on that podcast as well. Uh, you know, that's what else you get to hear from Brad and Scott, you know, waxing poetic about what's going on with the Major League team. So you get two podcasts for one. It's really hard to beat. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.